You may open in your Bibles to the book of John in chapter 13. The book of John in chapter 13. How y'all doing? We uh, just came back last night from uh, the Men's Ignite Conference at uh, Liberty University. Met in the auditorium of Thomas Road Baptist Church. And uh, it's the first time I ever heard Charlie Daniels Band live. And I didn't think it would be in a church, but it was. And yes, he played Devil Went Down to Georgia. He said every time he leads worship in the church, his pastor makes him do that song. So uh, I appreciate Brother Mark, uh, uh, those verses he was reading and bringing out the point that God sings over us. I hope you understand this, this isn't about the sermon, but it's about the sermon. That everything we do in worship is an echo of what God's done for us. There's nothing we originate in our worship to God. You can't give without his help. You can't sing without his help. Certainly can't preach without his help. I can attest to that. You can't, can't do anything. You can't pray without his help. Everything you do, Godward, is an echo of what he's already done. So he's singing over us, so we sing to him. And that's kind of the reason I want to point that out. And that's right there in Zephaniah. Like he said, it is a book of the mind. Can you imagine some of y'all going to get to heaven and Zephaniah is going to walk up and go, wait, think about what the Holy Spirit inspired me to write. You go, who are you, Zephaniah? What? What'd you write? He joked about Hezekiah. If you ever want to fool somebody, say, well, open your Bible to the book of Hezekiah. And people start looking. There is no Hezekiah. He was a king. And there actually is a section that we call the, the part of Hezekiah. There's like a part that... Is about him, but anyway. So I hope you do read the whole book and read through the Bible. But anyway, today I, I want to talk about something Jesus did that we ought to echo back. And it may not be exactly what you think. If you know what John 13 is about, you know what it is. And I'm couching it in this the problem with status symbols. People like status symbols, you know. Uh, it might be the clothes you wear, the car you drive, the place you live, the job you have. We, we, we kind of have status symbols. I, go ahead and put that slide up, brother. Here's some status symbols. There's a tiger paw, first in line. I didn't, I wasn't in charge of the order, but I did make sure there was a tiger paw there. Um, what, what is that one next to it? Yeah, it was a Mercedes. What about that little check mark? What about those rings? What about that turkey? If I were in South Carolina, that'd be a chicken. And we say down there, I'd rather live 50 years as a tiger and 100 years as a chicken. But anyway, yeah. notice there's no UVA because like Marshall's wearing a black ribbon today because they lost. So uh, I had I had Virginia all the way. Trust me, I was rooting for Virginia. And uh, sorry what happened. Well, there's a couple of Christian symbols up there. And, uh, you know, we, we think of the cross as a symbol of Christianity, don't we? And and, and the fish. I, I want to posit something in you, just I want you to think about it, and that's this, that we use the cross as a symbol of Christianity, we use the fish, you might not know about the fish, but in the days of persecution of Rome, and, and if you get killed for being a Christian, you'd be in a crowd, you'd look over and you, God might point out a guy and you'd think, you know, I believe that guy's a Christian. So you just take a staff that you're holding and you draw a half circle in the sand. And if the guy's a Christian and he noticed what you did, he'd walk up and he'd Finish it to make the sign of a fish. Or you just kind of scribble like you draw in the sand and you draw a fish and God come put a dot in it. 
And that's how they identified each other. So they could go off in secret and talk and, hey, you're a Christian. Yeah, me too. And they'd figure it out. And, and, and you may not know why the fish became a symbol. I know I'm using the cross as a gun and a pointer now, but this isn't the cross Jesus died on. It's just a symbol. Don't get freaked out. Um, symbols are important, I believe, but because I'm going to talk about one today. But, but the reason for the fish, you may not know, like where did that come from? I saw that Babylon B put out a thing that Lifeway was now offering this um, retractable fish for your car. So you could hit a button like you cut some off in traffic or yelling at someone. You hit the button and hide you, the fact that you're a Christian and not acting like one. But uh, that's a joke. But anyway, in case y'all, some of y'all don't have a sense of humor, don't know what I'm kidding. But uh, I'm kidding. Uh, but... But the fish became that symbol because the letters in the Greek word for fish, which is ichthus, a fish scientist, an ichthologist, an ichthus, the, if you took those letters and you made a word out of each letter, it's the first letters of the words, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And so that's how the fish became a symbol for Christianity. But what I'd like to posit in your life is the fact that the cross and the fish, though they're symbols of Christianity, they're really symbols not of a Christian, but of the Christ who saved us. Would you agree with that? That Jesus died on the cross, that that symbol for the Christian represents Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. So they're really symbols of Christ. But what is a, a, a good symbol? And I'm going to leave this up here just so you might can see it. There's a cross. Usually you can see it back there in the balcony. I'm glad I didn't. I mean, in the Above the baptistry. I'm glad I didn't wait on that because I forgot they put that up this week. But let me give you a better symbol of being a Christian. It's not a cross. It's not a fish. It's not a sticker on your car. It's a dirty towel. This is the symbol of being a Christian. Because a Christian serves. Let's look at John 13. And I'm going to not read it all. Stand up. There's many verses. I mean, please stand up. I, Sometimes I get excited. My adrenaline's running high today. I don't know why. I don't know if it's the weekend or what, but I've been going 100 miles an hour since I got up. In John 13, here's, we read these words, and, and just really pay attention to each word. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I'm going to skip what happened to Peter, but there is something in there you need to see. He gets to Peter and Peter says, Lord, man, I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. I'm just a schmuck. You're the Lord. You don't need to do that. And and Jesus said, listen, and and you'll see what Jesus' response is down in verse 8. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. He's saying, if you don't let me wash your feet, you don't have anything to do with me. And so then Peter said, oh, well, in that case, wash my face, my hands get, you know. And Jesus said, no, Peter, you've had a bath. You don't need a bath. You need your feet washed. Okay. Now pick up in verse 12. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, 
Thank you for what you did here in John 13. Thank you for inspiring John to write that. Holy Spirit, we thank you for that, that we could read this and you could illuminate it to our understanding. Lord, I don't have enough bread and fish to feed this group, much less thousands of people. So, Lord, I just pray that you take what I do have, break it and bless it and use it as we eat of you the bread of life, as your body has been broken for us, Lord, on the cross. We come, Father, in the name of Jesus and ask that this day you would be glorified in the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. That you would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to understand, to see, to comprehend, and then to live out your will for us. Lord, indeed, you are mighty and we are weak. And we thank you that you make us strong only when we're weak. When we do it in our own strength, Lord, you let us go so that we learn that we're not strong enough. So, Lord, today we just... Resign ourselves to the fact we're not and ask that you would step in and help us this day. We pray that you would be glorified indeed in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Here's something I want you to take home with you today if you go put that phrase up. And you need to ask yourself, what symbol identifies your life? By what symbol do people know you? What is it that defines you? And, and the first thing I want you to see in this text, and, and stick, stick with me, because I, I can't get past this. It was two years ago I was reading this, and God popped something in my head. I'll, I'll, I'll explain that in more detail later. But look at the very first thing. Jesus did something that allowed him to serve. He knew something, I should say, that allowed him to serve. Jesus had a good understanding of this. First of all, his time was up. It says there, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of the world. He knew, okay, I was here for a while and I'm about to leave. So he knew it was over. You don't know when you're going to die. People spend a lot of money trying to read their fortunes, horoscopes, you know. They're either demonic or they're liars. Either way, you don't want to listen to it. Okay, just go ahead and tell you. Your horoscope is a horror. All right. So don't read it. It's stupid because they're never going to tell you, oh, you're a loser and you're going to die. They say, oh, it's going to be great. You're going to make money, marry the beautiful woman or handsome man or whatever it might be. They never tell you negative things, tell you positive things. So that's how you know they're lying because this life on the side, it's not all roses, is it? It's not all sunshine and roses. Sometimes it's moonlight and dishes, right? Um, I got that a little backwards, but it's okay. You got the point. So we don't know when we're going to die. It could, I could die before I finish this sermon. That's just a fact. Or I may live, you know, many, many more years. I don't know how many. I don't know what my wife's praying for, but, you know. <laughs> you know, but God's in charge of that. And I don't worry about that. God, God's got that under control. But Jesus knew. He understood. Because if you don't realize the Mount of Transfiguration wasn't long before this. And the reason for that was that he could get the details about what he was about to do. Don't worry, it's just a baby. Baby's supposed to cry. I like it when babies cry. That's awesome. They're doing what God made them to do. I don't like it when adults cry, but when babies cry, it's great. Um, and some of y'all are just grown-up babies. But anyway, I was talking to myself there. I didn't mean to put that on you. I, I'd do that. But but anyway, we, we don't know. And David said this, Lord, teach me to number my days that I may apply my heart to wisdom. In other words, I don't know how long I got, so I better make the most of today. Today, I better get this straight. And Jesus knew his hour had come. He's going to leave. So think about that. The last thing 
He's going to teach them before the cross because he taught them after the cross as well when he rose from the dead. But the last thing he wants to get burned into their head is this foot washing thing. So when I saw that a couple years ago, I went, he's about to leave. So this has got to be pretty important. I mean, the very most important thing, I guess, just before he went back into heaven, going all the world and preach the gospel, right? But for his disciples, how they were to be, how they were to live their life, it's about washing feet. Now, you've probably read this passage, or some of you, I had a lot of people come after first service, they were brethren or some other denomination, and said, man, we used to do that you know, several times a year or whatever, every time we had communion. And, and I'm a Baptist, I, I washed my feet, but at home, in the shower. I never did it at church, it just wasn't part of our tradition and, and, and so anything we do a lot, sometimes we lose the meaning of. So you may have never have seen that or maybe you've been very active in it. But I want you to catch something here. Jesus does this for a very specific reason. And that's what I want you to get today. Secondly, we find here that Jesus loved his disciples. says he loved them to the end. In other words, he never gave up on them. He never got tired. Of them. He never didn't love them. Everything he told them, everything he taught them, everything he did was because of his love for them. So therefore, it was for their good, for their learning, for their growth, their knowledge. And he loved them all the way to the end. The third thing we see in that introduction there of those few verses is that, well, we see about the devil going into Judas Iscariot. You ever notice that? Judas Iscariot was there when he washed his feet. Eleven of them walked with Jesus. Judas just hung out. But it says, Jesus, knowing the Father had given him all things into his hands. Everything is now in his hands. It is up to Jesus. Every authority has been given to his hands. I just want to pause there for a minute. You realize the Bible says that we are joint heirs with Christ, right? Everybody say amen to that? Yeah, okay, good. Uh, we are joint heirs with Christ. Now, what does being a joint heir mean? Does that mean I get 50% and he gets 50%? See, you hadn't thought about this. A joint heir means we both get all of it. See, in human thinking, we say, well, if I got $100, leave somebody, and I make uh, you guys, the Craigs down here, join heirs of my $100, we would think, oh, they each get 50 bucks. No, they together as a group get $100. In the church, if we are identified with Christ, we get everything Christ gets. This isn't that individually I become God, I become like Jesus as God, but in the church, in the body of Christ, we get what Christ got. You need to come to prayer time on Sunday night where I teach about prayer. When we identify with Christ by the authority of Christ, the power of God comes and the church can decide together. So, you know, we fight over the color of carpet. That's what you need the power of Christ for? Man, rip the carpet up and stain the concrete and don't care about it. Just get that done. You don't have to go to any links over that. What we need to be praying for is that God would give us the courage and, 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 the, and the want to to go out and win Stanton for Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what the power is there for. And, and so we are a joint. And God the Father, and Jesus knew that. He knew that he had gotten all that from the Father. And notice that he came from God. He was returning to God. He knew where he came from, where he was going. Now I just want to pause there for a minute. Because I'm going to ask you or point out to you that Jesus is asking you to do what he did. In a little bit. I'm going to point that out. And you can have the same reasons as Jesus. Okay? Number one, 
And by the way, there's no outline for this, so don't worry about it up there. You don't know when your hour is coming. My daddy used to tell me yesterday was gone, he couldn't get it back, and tomorrow wasn't promised. I grew up realizing the fact that I'm breathing right now means this is the only moment I have for sure. And the next moment it could be gone. Just, you don't know. Life turns on a dime sometimes. And so, I have to live as if this is my last breath. This is my last heartbeat. This is my last effort. And I got to love people. I got to love those who follow Christ, right? He loved his disciples. I got to love my family. I got to love my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then, not only that, I've already told you, you're joint heir with Christ. God the Father has given all things in our hands too. Do you understand that? Because when we think of inheritance as getting something good, and it is good, but when you have things, you're responsible for things. As that great theologian, Uncle Ben Parker said, with great power comes great responsibility. Right? Our young people got that reference. Amen back there? You guys know? Uncle Ben Parker is Spider-Man's uncle, okay? Just in case you didn't know. And that's a line from that. In other words, if God's given us that much authority, we better be careful how we use it. That's why I was talking about the carpet, man. It, he didn't give us the authority of Christ so we could argue over how we build a building or color the walls or anything else. He gave us that authority. We'd go out of these places into the world to preach the gospel. And so we have that. We need to understand that. And then in Psalm 139, it says that he knit me in my mother's womb. Do you know the Hebrew in that term, in that psalm, is the same Hebrew term as it when God created Adam and Eve? It's the same root word. In other words, when you were being formed in your mother's womb, God was busy in there making sure you look like you look. He gave you your personality, your hair color, eye color, skin color, height, all that stuff. Y'all are kind of responsible for your own weight, but <laughs> your potential for that. He gave all that to you. And now, if you th- are thinking about that, what about someone who has what we call a handicap? A handicap's an advantage. Because that's where you learn to trust God. Mine's diabetes. So just in case you think I'm being insensitive, I'm not. Mine's diabetes. I get it. I've been over 50 years. I've been a diabetic. God gave me diabetes so I wouldn't be a soldier or a cop. Because that's what I want to do. I want to join the Marines and be a cop. And those are great, noble professions. That wasn't God's will for me. So he said, okay, I'll fix you. <laughs> there, now you can't do that. So I had a desire, but I didn't have the ability. You got, you got to have both to do one of those things. In fact, let me just tell you a quick story. I, I think God has protected me in my diabetes, and I'll tell you why. Because, number one, I'm healthy, and I've been a diabetic over 50 years. And I'm pretty pretty healthy. And uh, and And... I was sitting in the in the doctor's office one day in Norfolk in the in the research center. I was doing I was doing some research already uh, for them, you know, letting them experiment on me. And, and I don't mean that as a joke. That's true. And a lady came in. She's wearing a little robe, and she said, "We're doing a study, and we would like you to participate. And we don't have to do anything. All you got to do is sign this piece of paper. We're we're checking blood, and we'll check some blood you've already given. We want you to take more blood." And, and we're looking for, a, I want to call it an enzyme, but something that's in the blood that shows the process of a person becoming a diabetic. And they're looking for these markers in the blood to figure out where you are. 
I said, sure, fine, go ahead. And I signed it because anything to help the cause, I'm, I'm up for that. And I didn't have to do anything except sign my name, so it was no problem. She said, we'll bring you your results. I said, okay, great. That's, that was my reward. So she, later on, she came back when I was there, and she said, here's your results, but this is odd. I said, what do you mean it's odd? She said, because according to the test, you're not a diabetic yet. I said, excuse me? She said, you are still in the process of becoming a diabetic. I said, well, that's interesting. I've been a diabetic over 45 years at that point. See, what I'm telling you is God's got his hand, his finger on me. And when he's done with me, he's going to let go and I'm just going to die. God is in that. So he gave me diabetes, but I found out there's some advantages to being a diabetic. Number one, I've thought about what I eat my whole life. And there's some other things. I won't get into that. I'll start talking about myself and that's stupid. But I want you to understand that God made you the way you are, that you might serve him to the best of the ability that he wants you to do. So you came from God, you're going back to God. When you get there, you've got to answer for what he did with what he gave you. He's not going to ask you, why didn't you preach like Stuart or Billy Graham? He's not going to ask you, why didn't you pray like some prayer warrior? Why didn't you uh, go to this country like that missionary did? He's going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave you where I put you? Okay? So I want you to get that because what comes next is going, I hope will rock your world because it rocked mine. So then here's what Jesus did to give us the status symbol of a dirty towel. You know where we are. You know what happened. You'd probably know what it meant to wash feet in those days. It was the job of the lowest slave. The, 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 the lowest slave had to do this job. This was the thing nobody wanted to do. It was, it, they just didn't want to do it. And in many Eastern cultures, still, you kick off your shoes when you go in because they don't want, you know, you don't dirty your floor. But where it came from was the idea that they're walking around sandals on dirt roads. There's no pavement. So if, if you were too poor to have a slave, the youngest kid had to do it. And so you're walking around sandals, you get your feet dirty going to somebody's house. When you get there, you took off your sandals and they would put the lowest slave or the youngest kid by the door with a basin of water, you come in, kick off your sandal, dip your foot in water. He'd dry it off with a towel, dip your other foot, dry it off, and you go on in the house, and you would be there. So Jesus sent some disciples to get the room ready for the Last Supper, and that's where we are. And they eat the supper, and nobody's washed anybody's feet. Because there was no slave there, it was just Jesus and the twelve. Now, can you imagine the conversation that got into that point? Hey, who's going to wash feet? I ain't washing feet. Come on, Peter. You kind of our leader. You wash the feet. Jesus wanted to tell you, you got the keys of the kingdom. Well, come on, man. Wash your feet. I'm the oldest. I got the keys. And you ain't washing your feet. How about you, John? You're the baby. I'm Jesus' best friend. I ain't washing anybody's feet. And none of the guys would do it. Jesus comes in. He notices that. They have the supper. And then we read these words. After all of this, verse 4, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and took a towel and tied it around his waist. I want you to catch some words there. Rose from supper. This word means to rise up, to rouse up. It means means you're asleep and something startles you awake. It's... Man, I got to do that. I don't feel like doing it. But you make yourself, you exercise your will, you get up and do it. That's the sense of the word. Not that Jesus needed the motivation, but it's a very strong word. It's saying it's not like he went, well, let me try this and see if they'll catch it. It means he 
did that very intentionally, did that with a passion. Now, I can imagine when he got up and did this, they knew what was about to happen. Now, can you imagine the thoughts they're having around the table? Oh, man, I knew I should have done that. I should have been the one, and now Jesus is going to do it. And I think they were frozen in fear. I didn't do that. I think they were frozen in fear to act. It just caught them. Because he rises from supper. But I want you to notice the next thing he did. He took off his outer garments. Well, it makes sense. And he put a towel around him to wash their feet. Hang on to that for a second. And then, but I want you to catch what it meant. It says he laid aside his garments. You're going to be shocked where the word lay aside came from. It's Theo. You put an S on it, it's God, Theos. It's that powerful of a word. And when it's in the active voice, it means God. In the reflexive voice, which is what is used here, it means to utterly prostrate, to fall down, to flatten it out. And it says he, he flattened out his garment. He took it off and cast it aside. I think it's interesting that it's a similar word to the word God. You'll catch on in just a minute. And then he put on this towel. Not this one, but one, a towel. As a sign to serve others. You go, yeah, I know that preacher. You didn't have to spend all this time, waste my time telling me that. We've read it before we get it. We're supposed to serve one another. I don't think you do. Because when it comes to Peter, Peter says, no, you don't have to do that. And he says, yeah, I do. Because you don't have anything to do with me if you don't let me do this. And so then he, Peter lets him. And he washes Peter's feet. He washes everybody's feet. And two years ago, as I was reading this, this is what caught me. It started in verse 12. When he washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place. I don't think there are any words in the Bible that aren't important. And what made me look at those phrases was the next thing he said. Do you understand what I've done to you? In other words, he said, did you get it? Did you catch it? Do you understand? So I went looking back. Why does it say after he'd finished, he put on his garment and he returned to his place. He sat down in his place. And then I started thinking about it. In Philippians, it says that Jesus, being in very form God, thought equality with God, not something to be held on to. But emptied himself. It's called kenosis in Philippians. He used the Greek word kenosis. It means he set aside the exercise of deity. And he took on the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a servant. He humbled himself to obey. Even to the point of dying on a cross. Now that passage goes on to say. And having done that. God has highly exalted him, given a name above every name. But if you skip over the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, it says this. God spoke a lot of ways, a lot of times, through many prophets, all this. It says, in these last days, he's spoken through his son, who sat down. Say, okay, big deal. I'm asking, why does the Bible go to the point of saying that when Jesus was finished, he put his clothes back on and sat down? Doesn't that just, like, you assume that? 
Because he wanted to make sure you caught what he did. Because Sunday nights as I'm teaching prayer, I've, I've taught about the session of Christ. We are living in the session of Christ. Because Jesus is also the judge. If you go to a courtroom in America today, a guy walks in and he says, All rise, the honorable judge so-and-so presiding. And the judge walks in in his judge robes. He's wearing a robe that means I'm a judge. And he sits down. And when he sits down, court is now in session and it's done until the judge gets up and leaves. Friend, court's in session. Jesus is ruling. And he looks at these disciples, and I want you to realize here at the first of this, it says when he got up, he set aside his clothes. And the one who had carved out ocean basins fills a wash basin and washes his disciples' feet. He took on and did the lowest, stinkiest, worst job that could be done. And then he puts his garments back on and sits down and says, did you get it? Friend, let me tell you something. This isn't about just washing feet. God, a very God, the Trinity is in heaven. They don't need anything. They don't want anything. They lack nothing. They don't need you. They don't need me. They don't need a creation. And they said, let's create something. All right, let's create a universe. And we'll put a world down there in the Milky Way on the corner. And we'll put some creatures on there, some animals. And then we'll put another creature to rule over those animals. We call that a man. And we will let that man rebel against us. And Jesus said, and I'll go down there and I will die in their place so that they can be saved. And when man was at his lowest, when man is hopelessly lost, God himself came in the form of a baby in Bethlehem. He laid aside his deity. He put on a body. He put on a towel. He became obedient as a servant till he died on the cross. And when he was done, he walked into heaven with his blood, put it on the mercy, said, there, it's finished. Put on his garments and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And court's in session. And he looks at his disciples and said, did you get it? Do you understand? I am the master and the Lord. You say that because that's who I am. And I washed your feet. Now you wash each other's feet. You see, when we do a foot washing service, which don't. It's not just a symbol. It's what he called us to do. See, we come to church. It's a pattern. It's not a specific thing. It's a pattern. Paul said, esteem others better than yourself. We come to church and we demand our own way. We got to do things this way. We got to do that that way. We got to have this and have that and do this and do that. And if they don't do it my way, I'm going to get mad, take my marbles and go home. The reason there are fights in church is because unregenerate people have pride instead of humility before God. Let me tell you the difference between Christianity and every other religion. There are only two religions in the world. You say, I thought there were hundreds. You don't have to study them all. I'll tell you the difference. Every other religion is man trying to get to God. Period. I don't care if it's Jehovah Witnesses trying to be in 144,000 knocking on your door to hand you a magazine that's full of lies. I don't care if it's a Mormon on a two-year bicycle mission trying to convince people that they can evolve into being a God. 
I don't care if it's Islam trying to make a God that you can't tell what mood he's in today. Make him happy enough not to throw you in hell when you die because it's all up to him. And so you better be a really good Muslim. And the only guarantee is if I kill somebody that ain't a Muslim. Right? Thank you, brother. Man trying to get to God. Or come over to Christianity. And the reason Christianity is a stumbling block is to be a Christian, you got to say, God, I'm a waste of air. I'm no good, can't do anything right. I'm a total failure. I can't save myself. I can't get to heaven on my own. I can't do good even when I try. You had to die in my place. So I accept that. And I want you to run my life because I can't run it myself. And the pride of man will not let him accept that. And so we stumble over Jesus. Oh, we'll work for our salvation. That's no problem. But we won't humble ourselves. You remember the king in the Old Testament had leprosy? Came to Elijah, said, I need healing. He said, fine, go dip in the Jordan seven times. And the king said, we got show enough rivers up in Assyria, I'll have to dip in any dirty old Jordan. And his slave said, if he'd ask you to do a hard thing, wouldn't you have done it? Why don't you humble yourself, do what he said. And seventh time down, he came up clean. You want to be a Christian? Quit trying to be one. Humble yourself. Kneel before the creator who died for you. And let him come in and take over your life. That's it. So preacher, you're preaching to the crowd here. I'm already saved. Yeah, I know. I'm me too. And what I find in myself, I don't like. Because I find a certain pride and arrogance that... I already know it all. I already got it all. I'm saved. Been saved a long time. Been saved. Been a diabetic one year longer. I've been saved. I've been saved about 50 years now. It's pretty amazing to think about it because I'm only 12. (laughs) But I think I'm all that. I, I hope not as much as it sounds as I say it. But Jesus got up. And threw aside all the trappings of niceness and royalty. Regality, whatever the word is. Should have played basketball. I hit that second one perfectly. Don't worry, I'm not going down to the skin. Don't want to ruin your wives for you. That's a joke. I'll leave the t-shirt on. I don't wear a suit all the time. I wore the nicest suit I own so I could do that. To make it as dramatic as I could, Jesus took off deity. And at the Last Supper, he took off his clothes. 
and put on a towel. Come on, Brad. Wash some feet. Put back on his deity and sat down and said, did you get it? Did you get it? I asked Brandon to participate today just because I didn't want to freak anybody out. (laughs) And Jesus, being found as a man, humbled himself and washed his disciples' feet. It's not that I get his feet wet and wipe them off. This is just a symbol And he washed their feet. And he dried them with a towel. And see, Jesus still wants to do this for us today, doesn't he? He says, oh, you don't need a bath. You're just walking in a dirty world. You need me to cleanse you. But it was more than that. It was an example of what he did for us. And he said, now what I did for you, you do for each other. Set aside your pride. Set aside, thank you, brother. Set aside your desire. Follow me. He goes on to say, because a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Not if you know them. If you do them. What can you do? Well, first of all, realize that you belong to God and he loves you without condition. You can't earn his love anyway. Nothing you can do make him love you. He just loves you because he wants to. Put off whatever stupid thing you think makes you too good to be a servant. And then lastly, this week, find somebody... Who you can wash their feet. Couldn't possibly pay you back. 